Hello, my name is Allison. The Old Testament reading is found in Exodus 3, 5 through 10. Then the Lord said, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals because you are standing on holy ground. He continued, I am the God of your father, Abraham's God, Isaac's God, and Jacob's God. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I've clearly seen my people oppressed in Egypt. I've heard their cry of injustice because of their slave masters. I know about their pain. I've come down to rescue them from the Egyptians in order to take them out of that land and bring them to a good and broad land, a land that's full of milk and honey, a place where the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites all live. Now the Israelites' cries of injustice have reached me. I've seen just how much the Egyptians have oppressed them. So get going. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. The word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Pam. The New Testament reading is found in 2 Timothy 4, verses 6 to 8. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and uh, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. The word of the Lord. Good morning, my name is Randy Lynn. Thank you for standing for the gospel reading found in John 12, 27 through 29. Now I am deeply troubled. What should I say? Father, save me from this time? No, for this reason I have come to this time. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard and said, it's thunder. And others said, an angel spoke to him. The gospel of the Lord. Praise be to our Lord Christ. Remain standing as we pray together. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word to us. We invite the Holy Spirit now to come and speak. Be living and active. Breathe the word of God into our hearts. Open up our eyes and our ears. Open up our hearts and our minds to respond to what you're saying and doing in us. We pray these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, New Life Downtown. Uh, My name's Glenn Packiam. I uh, serve as the pastor here. And uh, I've missed you guys. I've been gone for about four Sundays now, four weeks or so. Every seven years or so, we at New Life Church, we give everyone on staff a sabbatical. And it, it, it varies in length. The goal of it is not work. The goal of it is not study. The goal of it is refreshing, renewing. Uh, it's anywhere from four weeks to six weeks, or some people seven or eight. Uh, Jason, Pastor Jason, is in the middle of his sabbatical right now. If you're wondering, where's Jason? That's where he is. Uh, I saw him a few days ago. He's doing really well. Uh, so continue to pray for their refreshing and strength for the season ahead. Um, I, I've been out for about four weeks, had a great time, several um, special memories along the way over the, over the past couple of weeks. And more, most recently, 
um, we were with my wife's side of the family. And my father-in-law, some of you might know this, is a farmer. And he's farmed for his whole adult life. He served as a corpsman in the Navy during Vietnam. Uh, came back from that, had a different uh, career path in mind prior uh, to serving. He came back from the service and said, I think I want to uh, farm. And he, he bought some land and gradually built that and expanded that. Raised crops and raised beef cattle. And so over the years, as, as time has gone on, we've, we've sort of talked to him about, hey, are you going to adjust um, your pace here? And he would rent out more of the land, but he would hang on to his cattle. I mean, this is a guy, I have pictures of him um, years ago where he, we were walking around and he was checking on the cows. And, and there's a picture of him standing like this, calling a cow by name to come to him. I don't know if you know much about livestock, but that's generally not what cows do, is like respond to a name. We also don't typically name cows because you might have to eat them later, you know. So people don't usually do that. But that was how into it he was. He was personal. He cared about the stuff. And this summer was a big deal because it was our first time seeing him since he had fully sold off all of the cattle. And over the last couple of years, it was like he would kind of get close and then he would go to an auction and buy another bull. And I'd be like, you know how that works, right? If you have one bull, but a lot of cows, like, you're going to have more cows. Um, but he finally did it, got rid of all of them. And, and I, we had some amazing conversations about just that process of, of letting go of 50 years or more of work. And what I, what I recognized early on about him is he was different than some of the farmers around him. And he would describe how farming itself in, in America has changed. That over the last couple decades, it went from people who farmed because this was family work, this was family land, to all of a sudden this was just another business, just another way to make profit. And he watched around him in this small town in Iowa, which is everywhere in Iowa, um, where, where people, people, <laughs> people uh, would, would rent land or buy up some of this land, but not really have a vested interest in the community. And so they began to have a name for people who would have these fancy different kinds of seed that they would grow that had been modified or different kinds of tools like tractors that were run by GPS and could work in the fields without anyone driving it. And it's like, on the one hand, really cool tech. On the other hand, it was people who were in it, not because they loved the land and not because they loved the livestock. And so people around the region would refer to those people as ghost farmers because you never saw them. Who's working so-and-so's land with the ghost farmers? Because the tractors run at night with GPS and then all the profits keep rolling in. And for my father-in-law, he was such a unique, kind of almost a dying breed in, um, in the field of agriculture because he loved the dirt. He loved to go walk the beans. And if you're from the Midwest, you know what that phrase means, where you walk the fields of beans yourself and pull up the weeds and he loved doing that. He loved every part of the dirt and the livestock. And he said to me years ago, he said, for me, farming is not a job. It's a calling, a calling to sort of cultivate the ground. Now, when you hear a story like that, especially for our American imagination, that captures us. And we think, oh, if only, if only I had a calling, if only my work lined up with a sense of calling. But, you know, I just need something to pay the bills. But despite what our work might be, there is this longing that won't go away for our lives to matter. In the opening of her best-selling book, Grit, the psychologist Angela Duckworth says that the thing that has helped her day after day, year after year, the reason she could get up after encountering failure or difficulty or obstacles was because she believed that she didn't just have a job, she had a calling. 
And she opens up the book Grit that way as a way of saying, look, we can talk about what grit is and how grit works, but underneath all of that, there has to be this compelling belief that what my life is about is worthwhile. We long for a calling. And so this morning, I want us to reflect for the next 20, 30 minutes or so on the calling and the cross. The calling and the cross. Two of the texts that we heard read this morning, the Exodus 3 passage and the John 12 passage. One's about Moses, the other's about Jesus. In, in lectionary, meaning in traditional kind of denominational worship settings, oftentimes those two texts are paired together. So if you were assigned a text to preach, Exodus 3 was paired with John 12 and vice versa. And that's because we're meant to notice something about the calling of Moses and the calling of Jesus or the cross of Jesus. For both, for Moses, the calling comes in the middle of his life. For Jesus, the awareness of it comes near what we now know is the end of his life. Moses' calling was followed by a long walk in the desert. Jesus' calling moment, John 12, is followed by a long walk up a hill to die. Both wrestle with God in prayer. And so we start this morning first with Moses, Exodus 3. If you've got a Bible, you can turn there and follow along. I want to make some preliminary comments before I say three things about calling. Exodus 3, verse 1, it says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, you might be familiar with the Moses story, but if we were to back up, this is what happened. There was, the, the Hebrew people had been living in an outskirts area of Egypt, and they had multiplied. They came during the time of Joseph because of famine, and they had just sort of grown too large. And so a pharaoh arose that did not remember the story of Joseph and the blessing that Joseph had been to Egypt. And this pharaoh issued a law that every Hebrew male that was born would need to be executed. And so Moses' mother smuggles him into this basket, sends him down the river to Pharaoh's daughter. And there are Hebrew midwives who are working subversively. There are people who are working to subvert the oppression of the empire. I mean, this is like the resistance before there were Star Wars, you know. And so these Hebrew midwives raise Moses in, in Pharaoh's court. And he has all the privilege and power of the empire. And yet he recognizes that these are not his people. And as a young man, he sees one of his people being mistreated by a Hebrew task, by an Egyptian taskmaster. And Moses, something rises up in him and he kills the Egyptian taskmaster. And then he has to flee for his life. And he disappears in the desert, meets his wife Zipporah, works for his father-in-law Jethro. Moses finds himself as a shepherd, not because he grew up imagining his life as a shepherd. Moses finds himself as a shepherd because he's in a little bit of exile at the moment. He had all of the passion for justice, but none of the sense about how God was going to go about this. So here he is tending to his father-in-law's sheep when something happens. As a way of kind of setting this up this morning, maybe that's where some of you are. Maybe it's because of season of life. You're about to grad, you've graduated, you're about to go on into college or into grad school, or maybe you're graduating from college and you're about to get your first job. Or maybe you're in a job, but you're like, this isn't quite the right one, and something's about to change. Maybe you find yourself in a moment where you are in a space that is about to transition. Exodus 3 opens up with Moses taking care of his father-in-law's sheep, recognizing that this is not his permanent post. And then something happens. 
Verse 2, there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. And so Moses thought, I will go over and see the strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him. Pause right there. When the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to look. If you've heard of the story of the burning bush, sometimes we say this in our life, like, why, if the Lord wants me to do something different, he's just going to need to give me a burning bush, as if the burning bush interrupted Moses' work. But when we read the story, we recognize that actually Moses had to stop and look. He had to turn aside and look. God can be trying to get our attention, but we still have to pay attention. If you find yourself in a season that is an in-between season or a, season, a holding pattern kind of moment in your life, this is a time to cultivate the habit of attentiveness to God. To say, God, are you not, I don't, I don't mean looking for signs in every corner and, oh, what's the meaning of this text or this song just came on the radio. I wonder what that means. Like, not like that, but just the habit of attentiveness to say, Lord, I'm open. And then it's, so it says, when the Lord saw that he went over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. This is the other thing that's interesting about the story. Not only does Moses actually pay attention and turn aside to look, but when God calls to him, notice that God doesn't start by giving him everything. He doesn't say, Moses, there's an assignment. There's an urgent need. He starts by just saying his name. And then when Moses responds with this response of surrender, here I am, then God gives him the rest of the call. It's the same thing that we will see happen generations later when Samuel, as a boy, hears a voice calling his name. And he's like, Eli, Eli, what do you need? And Eli's like, it's not me. I didn't call you. And it happens a couple times. And Eli's like, okay, next time you hear the voice call your name, say that, that you're listening. <laughs> and so Samuel then responds to God. Do you remember this? He says, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. And then he hears. As some of you are asking God to speak to you, asking God to guide you, but you haven't yet taken the posture of a servant. Can I say to you that the calling of God becomes clearer when our posture is one of surrender. When we take the posture of surrender, Brian said it beautifully this morning, the surrendered life is the abundant life. It's when we say, God, I surrender to you. It's that moment that we begin to hear God speak to us. It's, but when we're living our lives saying, no, 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 I want this. I want to be in charge. I want to write the story. I want to be in control of everything. Then God's like, well, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to force you into anything. But it's the moment that we start to really say, okay, God, you have my attention and you have my surrender. It's usually at that moment that the calling begins to be discerned. And here's now where we get into it. Verse five, do not come any closer. God said, take off your sandals. For the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have indeed. Now, if you're following along in a paper Bible, underline every time you see the word I. <laughs> just take note of it. If you're not following it, if it's a digital thing, just Take note of this. How many times? I'm the Lord. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. 
I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. There's a preacher joke in here about termites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Catch this. God says his identity, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God says his, his own attentiveness, I have heard the cries of my people. God says his own response, so I have come down to rescue them. And then he says, so now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. I am the God. I have heard their cries. I am coming down, and I am sending you. The first thing we need to know about calling is our calling is actually to join God's mission in the world. Sometimes we begin with this question of trying to discern our calling. And the only thing we have in our circle of of our view is my life. Well, God, what's my purpose? What's my purpose? What's my life about? What's my calling about? And that's okay. But I would suggest that's phase two. Phase one is God, what are you up to in the world? God, what are you doing? God, who are you the God of? Because here's the deal. We, the, the church doesn't have a mission. The church serves a God who has a mission. The church serves a God who has a mission. The Bible reveals a picture of a missionary God. A missionary God. Genesis opens with God saying, let there be light. And then he gives a calling to Adam and he, and he says to them, you guys cultivate, you be like an angled mirror that reflects my wisdom and love and order into the world. Be like kings and queens, be like royalty that reflect me though. Not your, uh, not your exploitive rule, but my cultivating compassionate rule. And then reflect creation's praise up, be like an angled mirror, be like a king and be like a priest. That's the calling in the garden. But then when they fail, one of the most moving images we have of God in Genesis is what does God do when Adam and Eve fail? He starts looking for them. Adam, where are you? See, the world has constructed human-made religions are all about man's search for God, man's quest for meaning. But the Bible's story is a story of God's search for the world. It's a story of God's search for the world. So our calling is really to join God's mission in the world. We serve a missionary God, a God who has heard the cries, a God who has come down himself to rescue. And if you, if Moses is wondering, well, how are you coming down to rescue? He's like, oh yeah, through you, I'm sending you. I want to put a little bit more meat on this bone. There are, there are several things we could say about the calling that Moses joins God in. But there are three things that specifically happen. God says, I'm sending you to talk to Pharaoh to set my people free. And then later on in the story, we hear the phrase, Pharaoh, let my people go so that they can worship me. You might say that in the story of Exodus, we recognize that God's mission in the world is to deal with evil, to deal with Pharaoh, to deliver his people, And to draw them to himself. 
So if you're praying and you're discerning, well, how do I know if I'm joining in the mission of God? Here are some questions you can ask yourself. Here's some questions that can help you discern your calling. Does, are you being invited to deal with an evil in the world? You say, well, I, I mean, I don't know exactly. Maybe I haven't quite thought of it that way, but maybe by, by education or maybe by teaching or maybe by leading a group or maybe by, uh, maybe I am sort of dealing with an evil in the world, confronting the powers by the way that you live and love. Maybe by having neighbors over who disagree with you, who have a different yard sign every election season than you might Maybe by doing that, you are confronting an evil in the world. Secondly, does it heal a wound in the world? Some of you work as financial advisors. Maybe you're healing a wound in the world of, uh, of, of consumerism, of a fear of not enough. Some of you are school teachers. You're healing a wound in the world of a child who never knew that their life mattered. Some of you are stay-at-home parents. Maybe you're healing a wound in the world by helping a child recognize that they are loved. And thirdly, does it set people free? <laughs> Maybe some of the way that you work, you're like, actually, I think my calling here is I'm, I'm not just a, uh, and then fill in the blank. I'm actually setting people free. I, I build homes. I, I'm, I'm setting people free from the fear of, of not knowing where they're going to live. I, I help people s- settle in and have roots? Does it draw people to Jesus? There's obviously, we could add 10, 20, 30 more questions. This is just a little tease from the Moses story. But you know what I want to say to you is your calling is not the same thing as your job. Your calling can actually be expressed through many different jobs, many different careers. I've interacted with nurses and doctors who I'm like, dude, you have a pastoral calling. Like you didn't know that, but the way that you've been interacting, like that, you've been, that's nurturing. There, I, I've interacted with baristas at coffee shops, and I'm like, dude, you, ha- you have the calling of encouragement in the way that you see people and talk to them. So a calling can be expressed in many different careers and, 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 and jobs. And if we see ourselves as joining God's mission in the world, Maybe it's not about changing jobs. Maybe it's about changing our perspective. Maybe it's about changing the way that we work to say, you know what? I'm helping to bring people financial freedom or I'm helping to bring people a freedom from this or that. or I'm helping to heal a wound in the world. Our calling is to join God's mission in the world. But here's the thing. Because it's God's mission, it comes about in a very particular way. How does the mission of God actually take place. Move over to John 12 now. Jesus replied, verse 23, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And very truly I say to you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a seed. <laughs> We're like, wait a second, what? Why have we got to talk about death? But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. But anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Jesus is starting to reframe how the mission of God takes place. Maybe for a people nurtured on stories in the Old Testament about Joshua's conquests and how they got land. Maybe these people are thinking, yeah, 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 we need a, we need a new Messiah who will overthrow Rome through a great military victory. And Jesus is like, 
I'm actually going to do a Jesus juke here and show you that the victory of God comes through death. He starts talking about a grain of seed. And then verse 32, he says, and when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Now, pause right here. When I'm lifted up, I'll draw all people to myself. This is like, talk about taking a verse out of context. This is like the justification for every Instagram influencer, right? I just want a bigger platform because I'm just going to draw people to Jesus with my platform. That's okay. That's fine. It's just that when Jesus was talking about this, he wasn't talking about a platform. He was talking about a cross. Like he wasn't saying you need to be lifted up, become famous and well-known, and then you can be important in the kingdom. He says, I know anybody can be part of the kingdom mission if you're willing to die. Anybody can join the mission of God. You don't have to have a lot of followers. Anybody can join the mission of God if you're willing to embrace the cross that comes with the kingdom of God. When I'm lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all people to myself. And he said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. And the crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain from heaven. Just checking you, Jesus, real quick. We've heard he's going to live forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? The truth is, in Jewish tradition, they knew about a suffering servant. Thank you, Isaiah. And they knew about a great warrior that would bring the victory of God called the Messiah. So there's a victorious Messiah and a suffering servant. What they never imagined was that would be the same person. That actually the victory of God comes through the suffering of God. To say it for us, our calling comes with a cross. Our calling comes with a cross. You say, well, Glenn, how do I know if my calling is just my own ambition or if my calling is godly? How do I know if my calling is selfish or if my calling really is from Jesus? I might ask you if we were having coffee, I'd say, well, is there a cross in this calling? <laughs> and you're like, well, I mean, I, I hope not. <laughs> but every calling from God comes with a cross. And you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because we, we love victory. We've got a lot of songs these days about Jesus giving us the victory and God fighting our battles. And if we were not well read in the scriptures, which many American Christians, it's becoming less and less the case that we are well read. You might hear a song lyric like that or see a phrase like that and think, oh, Jesus is fighting my battles. Jesus is winning, giving me victory. And you might imagine that the Christian life is like, it's just easy, man. It's just right here. It's just easy. He's fighting my battles. All I got to do is sing. Woo! Victory! But when you actually start reading the Bible, you realize, you know, actually the greatest victory God ever accomplished came through self-giving love on the cross. The victory of God in your life is going to come through a cross, not around it. I kicked off my time away at the beginning of June, joining a team of of pastors from New Life on a trip to Israel. And I know some of you maybe in the room, you've been to Israel. It was my first time going to Israel. And it was a game-changing experience. We were just a small group of about 10 of us, and we, we weren't part of a larger tour thing. And... And we got to take our time at some of these sites. And it's difficult because the sites with the strongest tradition connecting them to the actual places are also the ones that have been um, marked by churches and shrines and, 
and uh, uh, conflict and disagreement for a lot of years. But it's also like, well, but here's the shrine of the Holy Sepulchre where in the 300s, Constantine's mother found uh, three crosses buried down in a well right outside the walls of Jerusalem. Pretty good reason to believe that that's the place where the cross was. And that's the place where the tomb was. And so I tried to get myself out of like any kind of Indiana Jones archaeology, like is this for real? And just tried to say, even if this is symbolic, let me imagine the moment. And it's difficult because you get to this place where down there is the rock and there's this glass kind of floor and they've built up, put another cross over it. And you're trying to imagine it, but it's overlaid with like jewelry and gold and it's super ornate. And you understand what people are trying to do. They're trying to honor this place where Jesus died. And yet there's an opportunity. And we were fortunate enough to go on a not busy day. There's an opportunity for worshipers to walk through the line and stop and kneel you actually have to get low underneath this counter and put your hand right there at the base of the cross. And as I knelt there, I just kept praying, Jesus, teach me the way of the cross. Teach me the way of the cross. Because it's so contrary to the way of Glenn. It's so contrary to the American way. It's so contrary to the, everything, all the voices around us. But our calling comes with a cross. Some of you know this all too well. In your places of work, it got harder over the last couple of years. It got harder because people got angrier. Maybe you've not been able to hire the right workforce and you're short-staffed and overworked. Or you've had people yelling at you and you're like, I, I'm not in control over this. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, <laughs> it's a dangerous world out there, man. Talking to people, you know, at the airport, you're traveling, like, there's a lot of people who are just angry right now. And you recognize that a lot, for a lot of you, work got harder over the last two years. Is there a way of saying, okay, God, I want to embrace the cross in this moment. I want to still move with the spirit of kindness, with the spirit of patience. Help me, God, to embrace that my calling comes with a cross, maybe in a more obvious way than before. Now, just because it's easy doesn't mean it's Jesus. And just because it's difficult doesn't mean it's the devil. Sometimes it's, it's difficult because that is the path that God is calling us on. Sometimes it's easy because we're moving away from the thing that we're meant to do. Someone asked me after the first service, how do I know what my cross is? I said, I can't answer that. You got to discern that. What is a cross for one person may not be a cross for another person. I remember I had a college roommate. He just loved like giving away all his stuff. He wanted to live with like one t-shirt and maybe he shouldn't have, you know. And he was like embracing the life of poverty. And I was like, bro, I think what God is going to do to challenge your obedience is he's actually going to ask you to live a life of prosperity. And he was like, no way, man. But like living simplicity and poverty was like easy for him, at least at 19. You know, I don't know how it happened later on. Everyone's cross is going to be different, but you can count on this. If you're following Jesus, every calling comes with a cross. The final piece here, John 12, verse 27, Jesus is praying. He says, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. I love that the gospel writers give us different windows into Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. You have Matthew's gospel where Jesus prays, if it's possible, take this cup. 
but not my will, but yours be done. Here in John's gospel, you almost have this internal dialogue where Jesus is like, should I pray that though? (laughs) Should I pray, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. So Father, glorify your name. We learn a lot when we pray with Jesus. We learn a lot about how to pray in life when we pray the prayers Jesus prayed. Jesus doesn't pray, Father, get me out of this hardship, make my life easier. He doesn't even pray, God, make everyone recognize that they made a mistake. He doesn't pray, God, vindicate me, show that all the haters were wrong. He says, Father, glorify your name. There's a moment that happens in us when you know your calling is becoming more Christ-like. When you're able to say, it's actually, this is really actually not about me. Like it involves me, but it's not ultimately about me. It's about your glory, God. And Jesus prays, Father, glorify your name. And this is the third thing we're going to say about our calling. Our calling should result in the good of the world and the glory of God. The good of the world and the glory of God. I wonder what would happen if as parents we didn't talk to our kids about their dreams. (laughs) You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hear me on this. What if instead of saying, hey, you know, what what are your dreams? You should go after your dreams. That can be a good thing, but it gets squirrely real fast. Because there is a place for, as in Parker Palmer's phrase, to listen to our life, to listen to the gifts that God has given us. There's a place for that. But can I suggest that that idea of listening to your life and your desires and your dreams and your gifts, that that is actually bracketed by the larger prayer, which is, Father, glorify your name. And so what if instead of telling our kids to follow their dreams, we could say, hey, I want you to discover what God's burden is about. What is God burdened about? And how has he gifted you to address that burden? Next month, we're going to start a series on Nehemiah. Nehemiah doesn't, doesn't grow up as a Jewish kid in Persia, in Babylon, uh, saying to himself, you know what I want to be when I grow up? I want to build a wall. What do you want to do, little knee? I want to build a wall. He doesn't, he's a cupbearer. He doesn't know what he wants to do, but he hears the story of Jerusalem being in ruins and he weeps and the burden of God comes into his heart and it takes over and it it points him towards his life calling. I want to say to us this morning that the burden of God is bigger than our dreams. The burden that's in God's heart is bigger than the dreams that are in ours. And so instead of approaching the question of, what do I want to dream to be? We need to say, God, what are you burdened about? Make my life an instrument toward that and use me for the good of the world and the glory of God. I know that this is how you all live. I was thinking this morning of different ones of you in the room and how you've, you use your very vocation and work to kind of be an instrument of that. But it's also how you go above and beyond that. It's the reason people give a Tuesday night to 
serve at Alpha or a Sunday morning to be with kids or to serve on life safety or any of the teams or to, to, to go out in an outreach or to go on a trip. The reason we do any of this stuff is not because we're interested in our glory, but because you care about the glory of God. That's what you're about, New Life Downtown. That's what your lives are about. That's what your story is about. As we come to the close here and the worship team comes, we need to remember that the gospel ultimately is not about what we can do for God. The gospel is ultimately about what God in Christ has done for us. And so maybe there's some of us that are on this side over here and we're like, well, I've never thought in a bigger lens about my life or my work or my calling or my gifts. I've just sort of thought about, well, this is what I want to do and this is how I can best make money and this is how I can provide and that's okay, right? And this morning it's opened your eyes to say, I need to think about God's mission in the world and God's glory in the world. Great. But there's others of you that you're on the other side of this and you are thinking about that, but you're thinking about it so much that you've worked yourself to the bone. (laughs) You're a stay-at-home parent that never gives yourself a break. You're a caregiver that never takes a day off. You're a person working who's like, I can't quit because I've got to just keep changing the system. And maybe the word of the Lord to you this morning is to remind you that we're called to join the Messiah, not to be the Messiah. We're called to join the Messiah in his work, not not to be him. Like, Like Jesus has got it. He's the Messiah. It's ultimately the life of Jesus is what dealt with evil in the world. Jesus said in John 12, or in the later parts of John's gospel, the ruler of the world has been cast out. It's Jesus. What Moses did in part, Jesus did in full. He dealt with evil in the world. It's Jesus who delivers us in the truest sense of the word freedom. He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. It's Jesus who draws us to himself. Jesus said, I'm the way. No one comes to the Father except through me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. It's Jesus who's drawing people to himself. And maybe this morning it's important for all of us to remember that it's the mission of God ultimately is arriving through the life of Jesus. Jesus who dealt with evil, who delivered people and drew drew us to himself. But as Jesus' people, as Christians, Jesus' people, little mini-messiahs, when Christians were nicknamed Christians in Antioch, we don't know if it was meant as an insult or a compliment. We don't really know. But they use that word, or they're, they're little Christianos. They're like Christ, the Messiah, but they're like little anointed ones. The invitation for us is to say, okay, so God's mission came through Jesus, but it continues through the Jesus people by the power of the Holy Spirit. God's mission came through Jesus and continues through the Jesus people by the power of the Holy Spirit. So stand with me this morning. Maybe there's a a place here, a moment for you to re-offer your life and work to God. Maybe there's a place to say, God, I, I, I've, I've forgotten that actually what I'm doing is not just, you know, the, the details, the X, Y, Z's of my job. But what I'm actually doing is living out the calling to join your mission in the world. Maybe some of you need that reminder or need to hear that for the very first time. And maybe others of you, there's a 
a way that God is gently confronting you and saying, you need a bigger story than your own glory. (laughs) You need a bigger story than your own retirement goals. You need a bigger story. You need to catch a glimpse of the mission of God and the glory of God. So would you open up your hands? And we're going to sing this little chorus here that we sang earlier. And we're going to offer our hearts and our lives. But we're going to start by recognizing who he is. Holy, holy.